All right, it's time for County Morgue Puppet Theater, performing for a live audience at the Velveteen Turtle in Studio City, California. All right. Now? Yes. Now? Now. This episode of County Morgue Puppet Theatre jiggled to death the story of Victorian Keller Mary Percy is made possible by a grant from the Velveteen Turtle Foundation. The Velveteen Turtle, helping winners win at winning one half-priced well drink with coupon at a time. That wasn't me. That was the chair. Need a new chair. Oh, Lord. Let's start the show. Places, everyone. Places. You can't smoke in here. Welcome to County Morgue Puppet Theatre, featuring the fabulous County Morgue Community Players. My name is Madly Badger, and I'm in charge around here. Of course, you've already met our lovely narrator, Dickie Fiorentino. Hello, Mrs. Badger. Hi, everybody. It's so nice to have you with us, Dickie. It's nice to be with you, Mrs. Badger. Dickie. Yes? Do you mind if I set the scene for this awful, awful story, and then you jump in? That would be great. Very well, then. Off we go. Off we go. One evening, in the fall of 1890, in the modest outskirts of Victorian London, a small, thin woman with a long, black, flea-infested, horsehair wig was seen pushing a baby buggy with great haste down to the nearby river. The buggy was piled high with blankets, and blood seeped from its sides, and its wheels creaked under the weight of a heavy load. Nosy neighbors were curious to have a look at the slumbering baby, but the lady politely refused. May I see your baby, miss? Get away! You might want to have those wheels lubricated, messy. Go lubricate yourself! I say, what's that leaking out of your buggy? Oh, that? Uh, that's a marinara sauce. Move aside, you commoner. Look at you, an unmarried woman jiggling along right out in public with your baby buggy. Get out of my way. You get out of my way. Oh, you ran over my foot. Well, you deserved it. The astute observer might have wondered what was Mary Percy transporting in such a hurry in that buggy? Was it Linguini Marinara? Or could it be a newborn child? If so, why hadn't Mary shown any signs of pregnancy over the past year? Something was very wrong with this picture. And now, I'll turn the introduction over to our professional narrator, Dickie Fiorentino. Dickie? Mary had just committed a savage act nobody would ever have expected of a proper Victorian lady. But this Victorian was no lady. 
She was Mary Piercy, the butcher <laughs> of London. Mary Piercy was a young woman, 24 years of age, living at a turning point in the evolution of the great city of London. It was a tumultuous, it was a tumultuous and treacherous time for a poorly educated lady of limited means to make her way. If a girl were to rely on her physical charms, who could blame her? Records show Mary Piercy had no conventional means of employment. However, she had a fair degree of attractiveness, which she traded upon, if you know what I mean. She relied on the good grace of certain well-to-do businessmen, one of whom provided her with a small, rented home in the outskirts of London. One sunny afternoon in July, she happened to stop at a nearby grocer's. The young man behind the counter, a fellow named Frankie, gave her a wink and said, Hello, miss. Hello. Are you looking for anything in particular, miss? A lovely red apple, as red as your rosy little cheeks? Some cherries, perhaps, as sweet as your pretty little lips? Some deadly rat poison would be nice. Certainly, miss. It's over there on the second shelf, in between the oatmeal and the instant coffee. Is this for yourself, or would you like it gift-wrapped? Myself. Overrun by rats, are you? They're everywhere in my home. But you know, it is Victorian England, and people do throw their garbage out on the street. It's buggery. That's what it is, buggery. Mary sent Frankie a little giggle. <laughs> Frankie giggled back. <laughs> Mary gave Frankie a little wink, and she tossed her hair. Frankie tossed it back. Ah. Fleas! Frankie felt he had just met the most beautiful girl on earth. Mary felt a tingle in her bathing suit area. Also, Frankie and Mary chatted away the afternoon, gazing into each other's eyes and finding they had much in common. So you like vanilla ice cream and the acceleration of societal progress in the form of prison reform, child labor regulations, and the abolition of slavery too, eh? What a coincidence. <laughs> oh, indeed. Especially the vanilla part. That evening, according to court documents that may or may not exist, they made passionate love by candlelight, embracing tenderly and sharing their deepest secrets. <laughs> Frankie and... Are you done? Okay, go ahead. Frankie and Mary carried on their torrid affair for many months, with Frankie showing up at her door every day at 12 noon, holding a bouquet of posies he had pilfered from the public botanical gardens. Nevertheless, Mary had a certain obligation to other men who paid her rent, which left Frankie free to sow his wild oats, which is exactly what he did. That's right, Dickie. Mary Piercy was what might be called a pragmatist. She did what she had to do to maintain a comfortable lifestyle. And she apologized to no one. She may have relied on moneyed men to pay her rent. But she danced to nobody's tune but her own. 
Her teeth were as large as pianookies, and her laugh was a donkey's guffaw. Her manners were cross, and when she passed gas, why, the wallpaper peeled off the wall. Now she may have been lacking in pedigree, but here was a girl with a plan. For she never lacked food or drink when she stood on the corner and jiggled her can. Jiggled her can, jiggled her can, Mary jiggled her can. Her velvet divan was a thing in demand, desired by man. From here to Japan, there were two in her bush and one in her hand. When Mary jiggled her can, jiggled her can, jiggled her can. Mary jiggled her can, jiggled her can. Oh, jiggle that can, Mary jiggled her can. It seemed to Mary and Frankie that they could have carried on with this convenient relationship forever. But then, early one morning in September 1899, Mary heard an urgent knocking at her door. Opening the door, Mary saw Frankie shaking in panic, his face white with horror, and his sunken bloodshot eyes fixed on Mary. Her blood ran cold. What could be the matter? What could be the matter? What could be the matter? What she wondered could be the matter. What could be the matter? That was the chair. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, well, that was unexpected. Uh, Set him in the corner, will you please? Right over there. Yes, thank you. Right over there. This might be a good moment for us to take a quick break for a word from our corporate sponsor. Dickie? Yes, Mrs. Badger? Would you care to read this advertisement from our lovely corporate sponsor, the Velveteen Turtle? Why, certainly. Here you are, darling. Music, please. We're pleased to announce the grand opening of the newly constructed Velveteen Turtle Cocktail Lounge, located on top of the Indian Burial Ground in Tuscahoochee Falls, with nightly entertainment provided by the Vivian Schiaparelli Dancers, featuring Bubbles Belotrotsky performing the Pocahontas Polka. Performances start at 8 p.m. and follow every half hour until the walls start bleeding. Until the walls start bleeding. Uh, should Bubbles be do- Is that a good idea? Thank you, Dickie. We love our corporate sponsor. We only have one. Now, when we left off, Mary had just opened her door to find Frankie, white-faced and horror-stricken. He stared at her with bloodshot eyes and said, She's preggers, Mary. Preggers! Who's preggers, Frankie? One of me lady friends is preggers, and it's all me fault. I'm to be a father. 
There go all me dreams for the future, all me aspirations, me lofty ambitions, all swirling down the drain. <laughs> but can you just deny that you had anything to do with it? No, I can't. Her family expects me to marry her. They're very wealthy. Her father is in Parliament. Very well, then. You should do what you must. But what about us, you and me? I'll be the other woman. It will be our little secret. And we will have fun spending her money. But is that ethical? Is it honest? Oh, Frankie, think of it as sticking it to the upper classes. <laughs> well, sign me up. And so Frankie married his other girlfriend, whose name was Phoebe. And they had a baby girl, whose name was also Phoebe. And during her pregnancy, and even after the birth of the child, Frankie and Mary carried on with wild abandon. It is believed the very night of the child's first birthday, Frankie and Mary attended the Follies Berger, which was touring the country from Paris. According to court records that may or may not exist, Frankie and Mary had consumed seven bottles of Dom Perignon. At this point, Frankie was, as they say, knee-deep in bullion. He staggered on stage and began doing high kicks with the chorus girls, causing them to fall and tearing down the velvet curtain. Chaos ensued. The authorities were called. Frankie was dragged off to prison. Oh, look at me. Oh, I'm a ballerina. <laughs> hey, hands off, Papa. During Frankie's two-month stay in prison, Mary visited him every day, bringing him freshly cooked ham hocks and a crust of bread. His wife, Phoebe, never made an appearance. Mary, in a rare moment of self-reflection, realized she missed Frankie's company and was concerned for his well-being. Was this, she wondered, what love is? Mary could see that Frankie, in his own inarticulate way, was tired of being a husband. Mm -hmm. And he was tired of being a father. Mm -hmm. And he was tired of being the cutest guy in the whole prison. Mm -hmm. Well, they do bring me pastries and nail polish. I mean, just look at me nails. It's glitter. That's my kinky boyfriend. The next day, Mary's doorbell rang. Looking out her window, Mary saw a prim young woman dressed in fine satin, waiting impatiently on her front step. The woman was pushing a baby buggy. Mary realized at once it must be Phoebe. Perhaps, Mary said to herself, perhaps, perhaps I can help Phoebe, can devise, help Phoebe a devise a strategy to incrementally, to incrementally enhance, enhance Frankie's psychosocial, psychosocial hygiene and promote an promote elevated sense of agency engendered by a self-perpetuating cycle of volition and self-fulfillment. Or maybe I'll just kill the bitch. Anyway, Mary opened the door. Hello, come in. You must be Phoebe. Hello, yes, I am Phoebe. That is my name. 
Greetings and welcome. Watch your step. What an adorable baby. You are too kind. Won't you enjoy a pot of delicious ham hocks with me? Oh, let's do be friends, shall we? Let's be the very best of friends. I should very much like that. Then it's settled. The very best of friends. Best of friends. Dear diary, I met the most splendid of ladies this afternoon. I do hope that we shall be the very best of friends. Oh, let's do. Best of friends. And now that we're the best of friends, I must insist that you never see my husband again. What? What did you say? I've had my husband followed for the past year, and I'm fully aware that you two have been carrying on. And so I must insist that you leave town immediately. If you fail to do this within 24 hours, my father will have you tarred and feathered and thrown in prison. What? But why? Because you're nothing but a floozy. So what? I'm not fortunate like you are. I jiggle my can because I have to. It's an honest living and I shan't apologize for it. Those are my terms. Good day. So that's how you treat your best friends. You're nothing but a dolly mop. I hated you the moment I saw you. When I saw you, I had to keep from laughing. You and those ridiculous teeth. It seems Phoebe had said quiet enough. What she didn't know was that Mary was a walking stick of dynamite, packed with contempt for the ruling class, protectiveness for her boyfriend, and a natural fighting spirit. And Phoebe had just lit the fuse. Grabbing an axe that was leaning against the wall by the stove, Mary gave it a mighty swing and chopped Phoebe's head clear off her shoulders. Phoebe's head flew across the room and broke a large mirror hanging on the wall, shattering it into a thousand pieces. Mary picked it up from the pile of glass with its long blonde curls dripping blood. She squinted at the eyes, which were frozen in shock, and said, You do realize that is seven years bad luck? Mary then took her hatchet and chopped off Phoebe's hands and arms, her feet and legs, and then, and this is the doubly tragic and vile but historically accurate part, tossed the bloody dismembered parts into the baby buggy. Mary pulled the buggy out the door and headed for a nearby lake. Several trips later, her task was completed. When she arrived home one final time, the police were waiting for her in the kitchen. What, they asked, was she up to? And why was there so much blood and broken glass all around? It's the rats, officers. I've been killing rats. Oh, dear me, there's so many of them. Buggies full of rats. Upon hearing this, the officers gave a hearty laugh. <laughs> well, all right then. <laughs> well, all then. Mary invited the officers to sit and enjoy a hot bowl of steaming ham hocks. It looked like Mary was going to get away with it for a minute, until an officer noticed an eyeball floating in his bowl. I say, what's this? An eyeball in my ham hocks? What are you doing in there? 
Very suspicious. Blink twice if Mary Percy did this to you. What ho! An investigation was conducted. Mary was found guilty. And two months later, just as Frankie was getting out of prison, Mary found herself on a high wooden platform in the town square, awaiting execution. Mary stood tall and defiant, and in a heartless gesture that showed just how little she cared about the suffering she had wrought upon her victims, she declared sarcastically, Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. You are all so kind. Ladies, how many of you would defend your man at the cost of your own life? Very few of you, I'm sure. I regret nothing. And here's another little piece of advice for you, ladies. Always keep your kitchen sparkling fresh and clean, because you never know when a gentleman may come a-knocking. A man does not appreciate a dirty, smelly, rat-infested kitchen. He likes a clean, freshly scrubbed kitchen, one that smells pure and alluring. One that is warm and inviting. And ladies, always keep your sauce pot simmering. For if you decide to turn up the heat on a cold, lonely night, who knows? Men may show up at all hours for a taste of your saucy ham hocks. Your saucy, spicy ham hocks. Your saucy, spicy, meaty ham hocks. If you know what I mean. The bloodthirsty crowd gaped as the hangman slipped the noose around Mary's neck. She gave her can one final jiggle. The trap door flung open beneath her feet. And she gurgled her last breath. My goodness, that's convincing acting. She's not acting. She's choking on a Tootsie Roll. Oh, dear. What should we do? Why, the Heimlich, of course. The Heimlich. What was that? Heimlich. I'm so sorry. All I've got is low and brow, but it is nice and cold. All right, then. I'll have one of those. You got any pretzels? <coughs> Thanks for nothing, everybody. I almost died. Frankie, why didn't you give me the Heimlich? What, and break a nail? This episode of County Morgue Puppet Theater, produced by Nigel Gainsborough. Mimeograph Services by Beulah Puladulski. Special thanks to Wilbur Beesh and the Singing Beeshes. Winners of the Superstars of Tomorrow Award, 1974. Choreographic interludes provided by the Vivian Schiaparelli Dancers, featuring Bubbles Belotrotsky. Technical director Pansy Fishbeck. Slip and Slide by Wemo. Each audience member receives a mollipop and a fun-sized defibrillator. Ta-ta, everyone. Till next time. Thanks to our live audience at the Velveteen Turtle, Studio City, California. Please note 
Events and persons have been referred to merely as inspiration for completely fictionalized drama. Dialogue, characterizations, situations, and advertisers are fictitious. Any resemblance to actual persons, places, or events is strictly coincidental. Need a new chair.